If you were here early, you will have noticed that I spent quite a bit of time adjusting the lectern. It's only the second place I've come to where I can actually bring everything up to me, uh, which is really rather good, because it means you don't get to see the top of my head uh, for the next 20 minutes or so. Um, I am rather tall. If you didn't know I'm Mark Davis before now, it's just because I haven't sat in front of you at church yet. Okay, well done on avoiding that so far. Uh, For those who have uh, sat behind me, uh, I do apologise. There's very little I can do about it. I'm a far better door than I am a window. But we're going to spend some time looking at the first chapter of Colossians this morning. And in order to do so, we, we need to take a little bit of a window Uh, into uh, the place uh, that this letter was written to. The the letter of Colossians is debated as to who actually penned it. It's attributed to Paul. Some people think because of the way it's written, it wasn't written by Paul, but a close follower of his. Some suggest Timothy. Others suggest it is so different in the language and its construct that it's, it's actually written by one of the followers of Paul after his death. I'm not too sure. I think, I like to think this is written by Paul. And we'll see, we'll see why in a few moments. The fact is that Paul never went to Colossia. Okay, we see from uh, the, uh, early in the reading today that it was Epaphras who first went there and established the church uh, in Colossia. But Paul and his followers have got to know of them, who they are, uh, and what they are struggling with. Colossae was a Greco-Roman city. It was one of those places within the Roman Empire where cultures and styles and peoples converged from around uh, the the local area. There were people from Eastern cultures. There was a lot of Roman deity worship going on there. There were a huge melting pot of different styles and worships and beliefs uh, and faiths. And amongst all of that, a church arises having heard the gospel. So, as we pick up in Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to break the chapter into two parts this morning. Uh, our first part of the reading, we'll pick up at the start, and is, is the, uh, the prayer of thanksgiving for uh, the church in Colossia. If we can uh, have that up on the screens, or you want to grab your Bibles for this. So we're reading first chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Coloss. Grace and peace to you from God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. 
because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel that has come to you and all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, knowing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As prayers go, it's pretty good. To think that someone else is praying a prayer about, like that about them, that must have felt really very fulfilling. Incredibly uh, focusing the mind on the fact that the wider people of God are praying earnestly for them as a congregation in that place. The fact that Paul might be praying that prayer adds something to it. Well, it does for me. Because as we think about Colossus and where it was and what was going on there, and we think about the world, the country, the place we live in today, a melting pot of faiths and beliefs and practices, then it's very easy to see that although this wasn't written for you and me today, very clearly has resonance with the world in which we live. And to think that Paul might still be praying that prayer for us here in Little Over, right now, from heaven, is just a wonderful thought. It is just a wonderful thought that Paul would still have that yearning desire for us as a people of God. That's why I don't care that the sentence structure is far longer than in Paul's other letters. As the people who would spend their life studying these, these things would tell you, it's just not his style. 
Maybe it's not his style because he wrote it this way specifically for the people he was writing for. The art of any great communicator is to talk in a way and in a language that the people they are communicating with resonate with it instantly. That it makes a difference for them. And there is no question uh, that Paul was a great communicator. That prayer is just as much for you and me here today as it is for any other Christian who are continuing their journey to identify with Christ and to be the people that Jesus would have us be. And the prayer in this particular book is really important. It's important because of what is to come in the rest of the book as we will unfold it over the next few weeks. It's important because it grounds the conversation that is to follow in their faithfulness, their commitment to do the right thing, to bear each other up in what it is they have to bring and the ministry fields that they have before them in that place. We move on from that prayer into verse 15 for a section where what Paul does here is something very unusual. He really absolutely lays it down in no uncertain terms in just the way we've sung about Jesus this morning, exactly who he is. Exactly how much power and supremacy he has over everything before us. We pick up in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his body shed on the cross. I'll take pause there. There are 12 statements within those short five verses where Paul really does set out in a very direct and expansive and even ethereal way that Christ is superior to all things. He 
is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. In him all things were created. He is before all things. He holds all things together. The head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Very small thing, note the word might. We'll come back to that. In him, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. Through him, God reconciled himself, making peace through the blood of his cross. Having prayed with thankfulness for the commitment and faith, Paul refocuses the church in Coloss. He refocuses them on Christ in the ways his talents know best through the written word. He establishes who Christ truly was and is, the brightest star fixed in the night sky around which all else revolves. He sets out who Jesus is and then goes on to talk about why he is. We have a people here in Coloss who have such a mix of traditions and backgrounds and faiths amongst them that they have done their best to encompass what they have come to know in Christ and be a new church for him, but there are remnants. There are remnants of their past which they have not been able to let go. Paul is writing to a people who are plagued by false teachings, who are holding on to previous traditions. They just can't let go. And as a result, their continued worship of things like the sun and the moon and the stars, the water, and other Greek and Roman deities that have been uh, identified in this place through the archaeology that's been recovered, He is writing to refocus them on the one true thing which is above all of those other things. Christ himself. We all have habits. Rob talked to us about habits two weeks ago. I've lost him. He's in there somewhere. In the back corner. There you go, Rob. Really beautiful illustration how our habits might get in the way of what Christ intends for us or what we might be able to do to show Christ's love to others. Not knowing, not perceiving sometimes where we might be going or how we might get there is something that for me is all too familiar. 
reaching a point to be standing here in itself. I spent 18 months pushing that call into the distance. Other things are too important. Other priorities that get in the way. My work taking me all over the country. I just didn't have the time. When God took that away from me and gave me the time, when a career of 20 years came to an end and it all came to a stop, suddenly I had the time. I filled it pretty quick. We all do. It's very easy to do. To fill it with things that we might enjoy or uh, have always wanted to do. And the time got absorbed in a flash. But he kept drawing me back. One of the reasons why when stuff goes wrong and stuff crops up, that in the journey that Jackie and I have been sharing together in our local preacher training, when things go wrong, and let's be fair, over the course of uh, this year with not just our daughter who is here for the first time after an operation a couple of weeks ago, praise the Lord. When things go wrong, the first thing that happens in my head is it's the studying in local preacher training that drops into the, I'll put that off bucket. That's the thing that I'll just have to drop that for now and focus on the other things. It's so easy to do. Apart from the fact I also find it very uncomfortable. When Christ asks us all to do something different, to make a change in our lives, it's always going to be uncomfortable. Change requires effort. Sometimes means we get stuck. We can't make progress. Sometimes we just can't get out of our own way to let Christ have his. I said we'd come back to the word might. It's very easy to say that that God, that Christ has power over all things. If we allow him to. If we don't allow other things to get in the way, he is prepared, willing and waiting to open our lives up in ways which we might never have imagined. If only we get out of the way and invite him in. We all have things that take our time that distract our attention, that cloud our skies. Some of those things are things that we just can't let go of from the past. Paul here is setting Jesus out as the North Star, the fixed point in the sky by which we can navigate. 
But clouds will gather. Clouds will gather to shield our eyes from our fixed point, our purpose for being the people of God. Those clouds are the things that we allow into our lives or we can't let go of from the past. Some of those things are things that Christ has forgiven us for many, many times. But we also have to forgive ourselves. The word that's used in the version that I read is not forgiveness, but reconciliation. I like the fact it uses that word, because that's a two-way thing. If you have something that you have asked for forgiveness for, then this morning is the time to let it go. We all have our baggage. And it's very tempting to spend our lives dragging them through life with us. Not able to see the direction in which we are going. And we're invited to bring those things and leave them at the foot of the cross. As we move forward into verse 21. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before God. I'll read that verse again. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind during doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy, blameless, and irreproachable before God. I'm going to finish with a small piece of my story. I was much shorter at the time. And if you don't think God's got a sense of humour, by the way, I'm scared of heights. So... It has been known for the Christmas lights to still be on the roof in May. At ten years of age, I was in Prestatin. Not a particularly pretty part of the world, I have to confess. And it was the first time that we as a family had been to Spring Harvest. I was the youngest of our youth group at that time. And I was three months short of my 11th birthday and the rest of the group were in the 11th to 15s group. And I was supposed to be in the, the 8th to 11th. But although I was much shorter, I was tall enough that nobody asked. 
The fact is that throughout my childhood, throughout my formative years at primary school, I had significant problems with my ears. I'd had two operations on the left one. Um, I suffered from perforated eardrums regularly and uh, if the wind and the cold got into my ears, it put me into all sorts of, of pain. So Prestatin, the last week of March, if you've ever been, is wet, it's cold and it's windy. I'm going to paint a really pretty picture for you here. Okay? If the wind got in my ears, I knew what the consequences were. My parents knew what the consequences were. It was not worth taking the risk. So this is what we used to do. Balls of cotton wool dipped in Vaseline, pushed into my ears and a blue knitted balaclava over the top. Let's just say I wasn't the most confident kid in the world, right? My dad's mum knitted that balaclava. I had an allergy to wool and it itched like hell. So, but as you can imagine, in that place and at that time, the last thing I wanted to be was to stand out from the crowd with this thing rammed over my head for a week. So was I wearing it? No, you're darn right I wasn't. So when problems started to happen, I didn't say anything and I didn't do anything because I didn't want to admit that I hadn't been wearing it. I think it was the third or the fourth night in that particular week and we were in the evening worship session and it was loud and it had been particularly windy and cold that day. And my ears, certainly the left one, the left ear was really starting to hurt quite badly. And a gentleman took to the stage as part of the team that were leading that and said, there's somebody here with an earache and it hurts. I just want you to put your hand up. There's no way that was me, right? Okay? There is no way that that was me. Okay? I was sat in the room, as you can imagine, it's somewhere around here, towards the back, in the centre aisle. The second time he stood to the stage, he says, the pain you're feeling, I'm feeling, please just put up your hand. Still not me. I've got all my mates sat next to me, I'm not putting my hand up, I'm only up to this. That's too scary. Several minutes later, somebody else took to the stage. Somebody else took to the stage and said, Gabriel, his name was Gabriel, by the way, warning signs, (laughs) is sat at the back of the stage in tears. His ear hurts so much. Will the person with the earache please raise their hand? By that point, I was crying my eyes out. The tears were falling for the pain that I was in and there was nothing stopping my arm going up. And in that moment, the pain went. In that moment, I've never suffered with my ears since. But it was holding me back. That pain was holding me back because it was what I knew and it's thought, I thought that's what I was. But I tell you what, to have the experience where someone else bore your pain, what that means for you for the rest of your life, how close that places you in connection with what Christ did on the cross. If there's something that's holding you back, 
if there's something that you still can't forgive yourself for, bring it to the cross. Leave it with Christ because he's waiting to take it away. When you hold on to it, it continues to cause him pain despite the fact that you've been forgiven already. The price has been paid. The pain is not yours. Leave it with him. Because you are through him reconciled so as to be presented holy, blameless and irreproachable before God. Amen.